keep them in your home or love to see them in theirs. These are the creatures that bring us all together. Reptiles. reptiles. We're going to be delving into the experiences of reptile lovers from around the block and around the world. This is the Reptile Talk Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Jeremy Turgeon from Brassman Reptiles. And I'm Robin. I'm creeping it real. And this is episode 40. We're the big 4 now. Damn. That's, that's, we're, we're creeping that up to mean, the year mark. Does that mean we're old? I'm old. Just kidding. Oh. <laughs> so tonight we have a super awesome Dude, guest. I'm super, super pumped for Yes, we've guest. just been laughing about random nonsense on the phone for the past couple of minutes as we got <laughs> our levels set. So we have Josh Ortiz here from Herp Defined by, by Josh. Josh Ortiz. Man, what's up? How are you doing tonight? Hey, thanks for inviting me, guys. It's going to be fun. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. So for the people who might not have heard about you or, or heard of the things that you do, what, what kind of got your start in reptiles? What really got you passionate about reptiles? Yeah, sure. I could start out with that. Um, I know basically it seems like most people have like similar stories where they'll say, you know, they were like field herping or camping or this and that. And I, I really don't have that story. I grew up in New York City. And we didn't really go camping or anything like that. I mean, it would have been nice. I think that's great. But that just wasn't the case with me. Yeah. But luckily, um, yeah, but luckily, like, my parents, especially my mom, was really big into reptiles. They literally had, like, a reptile room before I was even born. That's so I grew up around, like, iguanas and monitors. Not really snakes because they were afraid of snakes because they were uh, really religious. And, you know, they were just had concerns with snakes, long story short. Mm. But um, tons and tons of lizards. Uh, we always had different species. From really small lizards to lizards that, you know, were six feet long, all different kinds of species, a lot of species you can't even get anymore. Mm -hmm. So I kind of grew up around it, and it was pretty normal for me. So, like, people have cats and dogs. We just had tons of different reptiles, and we also had parrots, too, lots of different parrots. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was pretty normal, and that's what I grew up with. And they had a lot of interests that honestly didn't interest me too much, but reptiles was the one interest they had that I was, you know, interested in, too. So it worked out well. That's well, awesome. Yeah. So did you have, like, one uh, one type of reptile that your parents had that you really just were drawn to? Was you were drawn more to the lizards? I mean, you've got some amazing lizards, and that kind of <laughs> seems like your main focus. Uh, would you say that you're more of a lizard guy or snake guy? I don't know. I mean, it, it's weird because in my 20s, I'm in my 30s now. In my 20s, I mostly dealt with snakes, and people consider me a snake guy. And now I'm kind of getting back to my roots in my 30s, and dealing with a lot of lizards and people consider me a lizard guy. I just consider myself like an animal guy Hell yeah. because yeah. I have lots of snakes and lots of lizards. You know, we have parrots. We're about to get some emus. We're actually what? We're working on our pen. Yeah. That's oh my awesome. God. Yes. All right. So I was planning on visiting, but I'm afraid about the emus eating me. <laughs> well, we it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Heidi was afraid too because the emus literally like they're like face to face with her. <laughs> so, it took me a while a to work on it. <laughs> And then as soon as as soon as she said yes, I like immediately like that same day I was calling my contractor guy that helps me out. Yeah. And I was like, hey, so we need to get an emu pen like here now. ASAP before you change your mind. Yes. <laughs> you can't screw this up for me. We need this here right now. <laughs> oh, I just remember hey, when we went to Gatorland, they had a, a couple emus there, and I wasn't paying attention super close. Like Savannah was talking or something, and I was watching her, and I was wearing a couple wristbands, and I was not paying attention. The emu was like very interested in my wristbands, and it like. <laughs> grabbed one and i nearly scared the shit out, out of, of yeah, I, was, <laughs> I almost flew out of the pen i was like ah! not i was not prepared not prepared at all 
Oh, so you have got like a, some seriously amazing lizards right now. I do want to kind of dig into some of the the projects that you're working with your lizards. You got some awesome tegu projects. You got like the coming eye water monitors. You got just like some amazing stuff. So like, what are you working with right now as far as like some of your lizard projects? Where's your focus? Yeah, so my lizard projects, I mostly do varanids, tegus, lacertas. Mm. Um, Australian water dragons, I just got them to start oh, breeding uh, yes. this past spring. Hell yeah. And um, I have Shinosaurus, but I haven't got them to breed yet, but I keep you know, a decent amount outside, and I raise a bunch of adults up. And um, I'm trying to feel like, oh, and the Cyclura, of course. I actually just had some babies that hatched out not too long ago. Yeah. So specifically rhino iguanas. I, I don't really do Lewisai and things like that. Yeah. I'm actually raising up some Lewisai and raising up some Cayman Bracks, but you know, there are a few years before they'll be able to breed. So basically rhino iguanas, when I say Cyclura, um, so those are the main species. Those are like five or six different types of animals. But for, ran for varanids, I do a decent amount. I work with uh, the Mertens water monitors. We've produced oh, those yes. two or three times. Uh, we've produced them twice, and then we have our third clutch incubating now. Yeah. And that's due – see, here's the thing. Everyone says that they take nine months to incubate, and that's you know with a lot of data. But you guys know with monitors, there's, there's a large span, right? Yeah. Yeah. You could have a water monitor, for example, that's usually – like a Salvatore, that's usually like 180-ish days. But it could take anywhere from like 180 to like 230, 240, even if you have the same temperature for two different clutches that were laid the same day. Mm -hmm. um, so with the Mertens, for example, I know myself and Mike Stefani. Mike actually – I want to say that BC breeds Mertens as well. And I, I think his animals actually laid before mine. We incubated them at the same temperature, and then mine hatched a few weeks prior to his. Hmm. So I think mine took, a, I want to say, close to seven months, and his took the full nine months. I guess the reason I'm mentioning that is because with the Mertens, long story short, I don't know when they're going to hatch. I'm oh, thinking yeah. they're going to hatch in February. Maybe they won't. Mm. Um, and then we do the the Philippine water monitors that are my favorite. Oh, hell so, yeah. Um, Dusty Aquatic uh, water monitors, but they have the really high yellow. They stay a bit smaller than Salvatore, about 75% the size or so. And then um, you, I have read the Varanus Salvatore, so I do a lot of Black Dragon stuff. I don't know if you guys saw that online. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, Black Dragons were always my favorite. I remember when um, the first monitor I ever um, got that was captive bred at least was a, a head Black Dragon from Chris over when he had Vital Exotics. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because at the time, uh, you know, we weren't working with them quite yet. And I got that one as a baby baby. And then I raised it up. And then um, that's one of my main producers right now. And then I have a few other adult animals I've raised up. They're actually like her offspring. I got some, some stuff from Corey just to kind of like mix in blood. So for the Salvatore, I work with that. I feel like I'm forgetting something else. The Ackies. So I breed the dwarf monitors, the Ackies. Um, and I think it's – oh, yeah, there's, I work with Semerensis as well. Do, do you guys know what Semerensis are? I do, yeah. But for yeah. the people who, who are listening, what, what, is, what would they equate it to? Yeah, so this uh, – we could go in more depth for all of them. I'm just kind of doing like an overview. Yeah. But the Samara water monitors, um, it's another Philippine-type um, monitor, and it actually stays quite a bit smaller than the Kamenai and the Salvatore. Mm. So you're talking about a female that maxes out probably like around three, three and a half feet. Mm -hmm. And the males max out at four feet, maybe four and a half. And then in addition to that, it's not like a, you know, a four and a half foot water monitor. They don't have that bulky uh, look. They're more of a slender species. They honestly look like, like a, a water monitor that's like a yearling maybe, yeah, like, a like a properly fed. Yeah. yeah, like a properly fed yearling. That's their adult size. 
Hmm. But they have like really clear ocelli, so they'll have dark coloration throughout their body. It's like solid, solid dark, uh, solid black rather. Hmm. And then they'll have nice, clear yellow and white ocelli that just really poke out at you. It kind of reminds me of uh, like the Guru stuff. Yeah, yeah. When yeah, I yeah. think Kev has his line of the the Gubu ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's it's kind of similar to that, but it, it's kind of similar to that, but if you shrink them down. And obviously that's really simplifying it because they are, you know, they're completely different species. They have a lot of different characteristics. Uh, for example, they're, they're excellent climbers. They don't even really use the different perches and, and ladders and branches I have. They'll literally, because I, um, I frame it out, all my enclosures, my PVC enclosures are framed with wood. They'll literally just climb the stud straight up wow. like a tree monitor. That's, that's wild. So I'm assuming so, that they got some crazy claws on them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's longer than your typical water monitor, for sure. I mean, all of them have subtle differences. That's why, you know, they're considered different species. Um, so that's those are the um, the five different types of monitors I work with. With the tegus, I work with the uh, the red tegus, the black and white tegus, and uh, blue tegus. Blues and black and whites are actually the same species. I do some hybrid stuff, but not much. Mm. Um, with the lacertas, I do Russian sand lizards which are Lacerda gelis exquigua. I do the the uh, Tangitanus, and then also um, the Jewel Lacertas. So those are the main Lacertas I deal with, and then Australian Water Dragons are just, uh, you know, the leisure eyes. So. Dude, I love so, yeah. those. Like, Australian Water Dragons are, yeah. are something that when I was younger, I was like, uh, could you imagine just getting one? Because they're just, like, bulky, and the male's got, like, that bright orangey kind of pink color on the chest and everything, and I was just like, oh, man, those things look... It looks almost like a Tuatara. They're just, like, so incredible looking. Yeah, and they're super cold tolerant. Like, mm-hmm. these here, because I'm in South Carolina. Well, you guys know that, obviously. And it's usually 50s during the day and 30s at night, right? For this but time we'll have here. some – if we have, like, a cold front, mm-hmm. we'll have, like, two or three days in a row. Like, tomorrow, for example, it's supposed to be really cold here. And it's supposed to be, like, in the 40s during the day and, I don't know, like, high 20s at night, which is, like, really cold for even for this time of the year. Yeah. But anyways – um they'll they'll be out when it's 40s as long as it's sunny they'll be out it could be 42 degrees 43 degrees and they'll be looking for food wow, at those temperatures that's crazy what so, is have you ever temp gun them to, to see what their body temps at because i'd be super curious to see what they're actually like sitting at because you know air temp might be like 40 but if they're sitting in the sun they might be you know if they're darker dark like darkened up they might be absorbing some of that sun and be you know 60 65 degrees even or more well, I've actually tempted them, gone them even higher, like you know, closer to like 80 degrees or wow. low 80s, even when it's you know pretty cool pretty outside. Cold. So That's they'll be awesome. substantially different. Wow. But it really depends on the, the time of the day, right? Yeah. yeah Where the sun sure. is hanging, how long they've been basking, if they're sitting on the ground versus sitting. Because I put a bunch of different rocks in there because um, I don't want to jump around too much. But when I build my enclosures, I want stuff that has a high thermal capacity. Mm-hmm. and has a high thermal conductivity. So basically, I want stuff that gets really hot and holds that temperature for a long time, long story short. So if they're sitting on a rock, they're going to be able to you know, soak up a lot more heat you know, from below and then from the sun above. So I, gu- I guess it just kind of depends on what they're doing in the time of the day. So, yeah. But yeah, it took me a while because I kept on um, – I kept purchasing those animals, and I would purchase it, and I would purchase them relatively young, not baby babies, but pretty darn close to babies. Mm-hmm. And uh, you guys may know they could be temp-sexed, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So people would say, well, this is temp-sex for male. And I'll be like, oh, great, temp-sex for male, awesome. I really needed a male. Raise them up, 
girls. Uh, I get it from a totally different breeder, and it's not their fault because you know it's not an, it's not an exact science. It usually works mm-hmm. out this way if you do it correctly, but not always. Mm-hmm. Same thing with leopard geckos. You know, all species there are attempts. Actually, same thing with the dwarf came and you know so on and so forth. Right. Um, so, anyways, and then I would raise up another group, all girls. So, believe it or not, I have a one point nine. What? Holy what? shit! <laughs> I just kept buying them. They kept on being girls. Oh, that's God. crazy. Dude, especially where, like, that's one of the few species where, like, males are a lot more desirable than the females. Uh, because they're bigger, they are more colorful. Uh, it seems like when people want one as a pet, they don't want females. They want males. So people can get a little bit more money for a male as opposed to getting a female. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. And then when you have one male, and uh, and he's not, uh, I wouldn't say he's a poor breeder, but he definitely, I mean, I don't know. I don't really have anything to compare to. But, you know, relative to other species I'm used to, so tegus and monitors and lacertas, I mean, once they get those environmental cues, especially species that brumate like they do, I mean, they're usually breeding machines at the very least for a few weeks. Uh-huh. And I really didn't see him breeding much until this past year. And that's why I just I, just this past year I got the first clutch from them. Um, but hopefully with the ones I'm um, incubating um, now, Oh, not the ones I'm incubating now. The ones I hatched out now, hopefully I'll have some males. They were incubated for males, so we'll see what happens. Word. That's awesome. That's such like a cool species, and I think that once there's a little bit more availability of them, I think that their popularity is really going to increase because you know previous to now, they were very, very, very rare. And I mean, they're still pretty rare right now, but um, especially with people like you producing them, they should become more readily available, or at least more available than you would typically see. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. The, I mean, the only, not the only people, but the people I know that breed them, there's actually a few people in Alabama, and I'm assuming part of the reason for that is that's where Bert Langerwerf used to be yeah. based out of. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, and Bert Langerwerf, I mean, he, he passed away, unfortunately, like in 2007, mm-hmm. but he was, you know, like the, the true, like, lizard king, and he bred so many Australian water dragons. I mean, in his lifetime, I'm sure he bred thousands and thousands of them that he produced. Uh-huh. And, um... And a lot of tegus that we have in this country, you know, he's responsible for bringing over or at least breeding on, on a pretty large scale. Um, he bred uh, jewel lizards. He bred all kinds of things. He bred Moroccan Euromastis, so the dab lizards. Yeah. Um, so he cool. bred monkey tail skinks. Um, I mean, all kinds of stuff he's bred in his lifetime. I'm just referring to stuff that he bred, you know, like later on in his farm in Montvalo. Mm-hmm. But anyways, there's like a small pocket of people I know there, like two or three local people um, in Alabama close to where he used to live that are working with the Australian water dragons. I mean, that's how I finally, um, you know, got a male. So, down, yeah. 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 Mm. Mm. That's, that's, that's an exciting so project, dude. Yeah. yeah. And then for yeah. the, the Lacertas, I mean, I think that the Lacertas are going to be a, a creeper where people are not really on top of, you know, how cool they are because yeah, a lot of people want a colorful lizard um, that's pretty smart. And, and Lacertas definitely fit that bill of being like the jewel Lacertas, like, bright green and they got those nice like turquoise blue spots down the sides for the males and and uh you know not quite as big as a bearded dragon so you can house it in something a little bit smaller than you house a bearded dragon and i just think that once those get a little bit more exposure someone gets a good pr person for those guys i think that those are going to like really skyrocket because with the trend of you know um bioactive enclosures and and setting up planted enclosures and stuff like that i think that those would be like a great alternative for people who want to do something like that yeah no i've always thought the same thing i mean bearded dragons i mean they're, they're great and everything and i i enjoy bearded dragons a lot 
but Jules Lacerda's, I mean, there, there's a lot of differences that, you know, people could appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, they are really polymorphic. And it's actually, it's funny, dude. It's one of the few species I could think of where people appreciate the wild type just as much as they do the morph. With, with the morph for Jules Lacerda's being the melanistics. Mm-hmm. Like, I get as many requests for wild types, if not more. I probably get about 60% of the requests are, are wild types. They just want a really pretty wild type with that emerald green color and with the blue flanks and everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know... Maybe about 40% of the requests are for melanistics. I mean, that's how much preach people appreciate the wild types. And they're super hardy because they do brumate. I mean, my guys, I usually, I keep some of them outdoors. And then I put some of them in a, I have a, like a temp controlled building that I uh, brumate some of my animals in. Yeah. And I try to keep them in, you know, in the 40s all winter. Outdoors, even when it's below 40, if you build the terraria appropriately and you cover it with plastic and things like that, you're able to keep because you have microclimates in, within your enclosure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I basically build it. I mean, similar to Bird, actually, a lot of times when I was designing my enclosures, he had basically a bunch of different options where there would be one option where they could get a bit more humid, one option where there was, you know, cement surrounding it with a cement slab on top and the animal could go in that nook and stay warmer. Um, some some options that were more buried. So I basically, you know, had the aim of giving them as many options as humanly possible. Mm. So, and this winter, this is the first winter here I put them outside and I do like a weekly check, you know, on some of the enclosures and they're doing really, really well. And they come out the bass too. Like today it was like 60 something degrees here. It was actually pretty warm, even though tomorrow it's going to be freezing. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them were out basking. So um, they're really hardy lizards. They're really hardy, really forgiving um, they socialize very, very well. I think they're, I mean, I like bearded dragons, so I'm not trying to knock bearded dragons, but in my opinion, Jewel Lacerda's are a bit more interactive. Um, they're more likely to like crawl up on you and eat and they just, they're just more mobile. Uh-huh. So they're more dynamic to watch because if you set them up in an enclosure, I mean, they're moving the whole time. It's kind of, I mean, it's almost not, they're not, they're not related to monitors, at least not closely related to monitors, it's like a mini but it monitor, reminds though. me of that. Yeah. It reminds me of that in terms of, you know, the thermal regulating, constantly thermal regulating, constantly searching the enclosure, constantly foraging. I mean, you can really just sit there and, and watch them and it's pretty entertaining. So, yeah, um, Dude, that, that's what I'm saying. I think that they just need a, a, a good PR person to really put it out there and, and hype them up a little bit because I think that they're like way better than, than bearded dragons. Like personally, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't care. I'm going to say it. I think, it. I think they're Go way better it. than bearded dragons. Go and, for it. You uh, can send all of your hatred to at yeah. uh, Rob is creeping it real <laughs> on, on Instagram. Instagram. Yeah, you can, <laughs> if you disagree with me, go ahead, send it right to the inbox. And <laughs> You'll I'll, stay there forever. I'll promptly delete it. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I just think that uh, the the Lacerdas are, are going to be one of those creeper things where, like, people might not have as big of an appreciation for them right now. But I think that in the next five years that, that uh, once people learn a little bit more about them, I think that they're going to grow huge in popularity. Yeah. Uh, I think that they just have that potential for being – I mean, they're so interactive. Like you were saying, they're, they're kind of intelligent. They're smart. They look at you. You can tell that they're figuring out what you're doing, and they definitely are more – you get more feedback from them than you do a bearded dragon. You're like, you plop a bearded dragon on, down on a table, and unless something's moving around it, it just sits there. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, you're cool, I guess. Uh, the the uh, Lacertas are definitely you know, going to be looking around, checking out what's going on. They might go explore and, and check everything out. So I, I think that they're, they're just like really on par with that. Yeah. You, you want to be honest with you, you know what the deciding factors? I, actually, I like bearded dragons. I just, you know, I, I appreciate them for different reasons mm-hmm. uh, than I do Lacertas. But the thing for me, when I used to breed bearded dragons, I mean, when I was younger, 
I didn't, you know, I would feed them and I thought I was feeding them enough. And these, you know, one day you slack on it and then you're going to come, especially once the bearded dragons really start, you know, increasing their appetite and the babies will like nip at each other. And honestly, I would just get annoyed. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I was able to correct that, but just honestly, just feeding the hell out of them. But honestly, it's kind of, I don't know. I guess, I guess I get anxious easily because I feel like I would get anxiety. Like I would look in there and be like, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> please tell me you didn't nip a tail or something. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And the jeweler service, at least with me personally, I never have that issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously I keep them well fed and well hydrated, but I mean, the babies are so, so easy and the babies are super hardy. I never really have issues with like one not eating or anything like that. They're very, very easy to raise up. And, I mean, bearded dragons are hardy. I mean, hence, they're, you know, why they're so, you know, prolific throughout the industry. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think, in my opinion, Lacerda's are even more hardy. Um, I think they're more forgiving with temperature range. Mm-hmm. Um, they're more forgiving to mistakes. They're more interactive. So I think a lot of the reasons people like beardies plus some is why, you know, a Lacerda works out well. I mean, you could put them in the equivalent of, like, a 40-gallon enclosure as long as you put enough surface area in there. I mean, I, I put them in actually something different when I keep them indoors, but a 40 gallon enclosure would work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're pretty prolific. I mean, if people are into breeding, I mean, usually in the spring you'll get, you know, a series of clutches, you'll get like three or four clutches and my females, I mean that most of them are like three, four years old and they'll lay in the teens, like 16, 17, 18 eggs. Wow. Um, I had a female lay 20 eggs once. So you can have a, I mean, usually with each clutch, I'll get a little bit less and less. So the first clutch of the season, I'll get like 20 eggs. Then I'll get like maybe 18, 19. Then I'll get like 17 for a last one. But, you know, you can have a female that over the course of a few clutches, she'll lay like 60 eggs. So if you, not everyone's into breeding, but if they are, they, you know, they're prolific animals. And in my opinion, I think they make better pets than beardies, but beardies are great too. Yeah, for sure. It's just a different animal. It's like a different beast altogether. You yeah, know? yeah, for sure. For yeah, sure. no, definitely. We could talk about varanids too because – uh I feel like whenever I post online, I could post like the coolest like Lacerda video or anything like that, and people will like it. And I could post like anything about a Varanid, like one picture of a black dragon, and people go nuts about it. So probably makes sense to talk about them, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. And you you've got, I mean, like we already discussed, quite quite the variety and and some species that are certainly not commonly worked with. Um, so what what kind of drew you to those less common species? Well, for me, I remember when I saw in a magazine, it wasn't that long ago, actually, maybe like maybe like 10 years ago, because I didn't start seeing like Varanus coming on like in the industry until probably like maybe like 2013 or 14. I would see like some like come in here and there, like John and Dragon would bring some in, like import them from the UK. Mm-hmm. And I know shortly afterwards, he started like breeding them sometimes. But before that, probably like, I don't know, like 2009, 2010. I would see pictures of them, and actually someone told me, like, oh, you should get this monitor because I had, like, Salvatore and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, those are great, but I'll never be able to get those. Like, I never see them. Right. And then it was funny, like, two or three years later, I had a chance to get some. Um, and to me, I just like the aesthetics of them because I like sulfur water monitors. And, you know, mm-hmm. sulfurs, have, they have that saturated yellow look. Yeah. A lot of them have that banded appearance. And I always like that look. But as you guys know, the sulfurs get pretty big. I mean, sulfurs in general are really large animals, which are great. But, you know, at the end of the day, if I'm having it to keep it, that's great. But if I have it to breed it, for me, the larger the animal is, the less of it I usually breed. Like, you know, for my black dragons, I'll produce like intentionally like only like two clutches a year, maybe three. And I could, you know, we could produce way more. You guys know what, you know, Salvatore are very, very prolific. Mm -hmm. And then 
for the common eye, I usually aim to produce a bit more because I think they're a bit more manageable. They're about 75% the size of a Salvatore, and I just really like the look of them. Um, so anyways, basically to me, I know a lot of people may like the Sulphurs more than Varanus common eye, but to me, I looked at that and I was like, Varanus common eye looks to me like a Sulphur or like a Melinus on steroids. Yeah, like the, yeah, for sure. <laughs> like oh. I was like, the yellows are like fluorescent yellow. Like, mm -hmm. And the black like, contrast they look like, on them is just like outrageous. Yeah, they look like they're photoshopped. Mm -hmm. Like they yeah. literally don't even look real to me. And the fact that they stay smaller I was like, oh, they stay the size of like, you know, a, a, like a sub-adult, you know, water monitor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, they stay smaller, so it's more practical for me to keep them. It's more practical for people as, you know, uh, as keepers, as buyers to keep them, right? Yeah. yeah. So I feel comfortable putting a decent amount of them on the market. I mean, obviously not a ridiculous amount, but a decent amount on the market. But I just like them aesthetically. And then when I actually got them in captivity, they actually act pretty different from Salvatore. Mm. Like they have a lot of different nuances that are really different. For example, when they get nervous, they'll shake their tails almost like a kind of like a luring technique. Just uh -huh. kind of like, you know, don't look at me, look at my tail, look at my tail. And they, I mean, I've seen Salvatore do this too, but come and I do this all the time. Like that's hmm. like their thing. Yeah, yep. I've seen Salvatore do it like when they're super, super freaked out. But unless they're like absolutely about to lose it, I, I hardly ever see them do that. Um, but the coming eye, I've seen them do that. And then what the ones that we had at Nerd briefly, I just remember that they had the sharpest claws of any monitor that I've besides like tree monitors for any like water monitor type lizard. They had such sharp claws. I don't know what the heck it was about them, but man, I feel like their claws are way sharper. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's a good point. Remember, I was mentioning about like the Samarensis earlier. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the coming eye here, um, they climb not not quite as well as the Samarensis do. But definitely better than a Salvatore does. Oh yeah. So I mean that I mean that kind of lends to you know the theory of them having the sharper nails, right? Mm -hmm. So you know they're they're really good climbers. Um, in in terms of their temperament, so th a lot of things in terms of the care, uh, there's a lot of overlap with Salvatore because they are you know relatively closely related species. They're actually considered the same species, and coming I was just a subspecies, you know, not too long ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but so. So basically, yeah, so I like the, their coloration. I like the fact that they were good climbers. Oh, the yeah, temperament we were talking about. So in terms of their temperament, they start out a bit more anxious than the Salvatore because I have Salvatore that right out of the egg. They'll let me do whatever to them. Yeah. Yeah, like my yeah. captive bred animals because I breed the friendliest animals I have to the friendliest animals. Mm -hmm. And then I work with them just like a nerd. And, you know, when I was over there, we would do the same thing. Um, so with the Kamenai, though, when they first come out, they're really spastic. They're they're jumping all over the place. They're like they're little energizer bunnies, like jumping all over. <laughs> yeah. But you know, if you work with them every day, within like three or four weeks, it's a completely different animal. Really? They tame out just as well as a Salvatore. Hmm. Um, but the important thing is to really keep up with it, because mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of times when we have these captive bred Salvatore, where you know that animal I had got from Chris from Vital Exotics, I mean that was like you know a few generations in. The mm -hmm. male I bred it to was a few generations in. So, you know, we breed, usually most people like to breed, you know, their prettiest animals, their most calm animals, and then we just breed those together. But with the common eye, I mean, a lot of this stuff, like, has barely been bred in the U.S. So a lot of these animals that we're breeding here, like, you know, they're like maybe second generation, maybe, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, yeah, but if you, so it's important to work with them from when they're really small. I don't think it's one of those animals where a Salvatore where you could have like, you know, pretty limited interaction, maybe like every other day, take it out to soak 
and it's going to be perfectly calm and fine. I think Durant is coming out for the first three or four weeks. That's really like the, you know, that golden period where you need to make sure you take them out and you do like short positive interactions without causing, you know, stress on the animal. Yeah. And that makes a huge difference. But when they tame out, they're just as, you know, a placid as a, uh, as a Salvatore. That's awesome. Um, that, yeah. That's and it's awesome. In terms of breeding though, they, they actually, um, cause I'm a breeder obviously. So I'm gonna talk a lot about breeding, but, um, in terms of breeding, they cycle a lot faster than Salvatore actually. Really? Um, yeah, and yeah. So they definitely because my Salvatore in general, like three, if I if I really pushed them as hard as I want as you could, which I never do, um, I usually let them skip cycles and take rest and things like that. But physiologically, I the Salvatore could easily lay three clutches in a year. Oh yeah. Four wouldn't be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I think four is like it's, it's a bit tough on them. That's really pushing you know pushing them really hard. But it, it's definitely practical. I mean, but Varana's coming. I, you know, someone could get at least five clutches in a year, maybe even six. Wow. Um, they just cycle that much faster. I've had I had a female that laid a clutch, and then she laid another clutch like uh, what, six weeks later, maybe seven weeks later. Wow. Holy cow. So, yeah, yeah I think it was seven weeks later. But yeah, I mean, I wasn't even intentionally doing that. So a lot of times with my monitors. I kind of just have in my mind, like, okay, well, I want to just produce two clutches of this, three clutches of this. And I really don't, you know, breed them to their, you know, their full capacity. But, you know, monitors are super prolific. So if you really bred them as much as you, as you can, you're going you're gonna to have a lot of babies, a lot of mouths to feed. And, and that's going to cause a lot of stress on the female, too. It's going to shorten her life expectancy. Yeah. So. Mm. Dude, that's, that's so wild. Because I look at the, the Salvatore that we're breeding at Nerd, and it's like after they lay, it's usually – like six to eight weeks before they start to cycle again. So then you're waiting another couple weeks past that minimum before you start to see any real big follicle development or heading towards eggs. So it's just, that's, that's crazy that those females cycle so rapidly after they've laid their eggs. That's wild. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's, I mean, that thing has a general trend. Like for me, with the species I breed, at least here, the smaller the monitor, the more frequently it, it, it cycles. Yeah. So I don't necessarily breed them every time they're cycling. I actually wind up only breeding them maybe like, I don't know, maybe a third of the time they cycle, um, you know, for the reason that, you know, I just don't want to, you know, make monitors for the sake of making monitors. Yeah. Um, and also I don't want to push the females too hard, but, but you certainly can. I mean, the smaller the monitor in general, they're going to be lower on the food chain, right? If you're lower on the food chain, you want to make sure you push out your genetics, you know, as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Because even at your full grown size, you're, you're not you're not very high on the food chain so it's really important to to think about numbers and you know, so physiologically they've evolved this way over millions of years and if you're a big animal a big varana salvatore that's you know six seven eight feet i mean they have some that on record that even larger mm-hmm. you know you're you're not so low on the food chain where you're from so you know you could you could maybe wait a little while longer so physiologically you didn't have to evolve to be able to push out clutches you know quite as fast mm-hmm. i mean that's my thoughts on it but i don't know what you guys think but yeah I, I I definitely see some some weight to that, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, looking at some of the other things that you know people breed on a regular basis, things like leopard geckos, and they're just like pumping out clutches yeah, yeah, all like the time. Yeah, every other week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know that definitely probably has has something to do with with the uh, reproductive cycle on those. But you you do work with a, a bunch of snakes too, and you got some awesome short tail pythons. I can't let you be on the podcast without talking about short tails. <laughs> And then uh, you work with some ball pythons, some retics, and stuff like that too. So, uh, what what is your focus when it comes to the snake side of things? Yeah, so for me, um, my favorite are the Borneo short tails. I mean, they they have been for quite some time. 
That's right. I mean, I, <laughs> um, I do have, I mean, I have a lot of different species, but the, the other species, honestly, I more so consider pets that I breed. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, but the Borneos are the ones that I'm just like really, really into. I really look, ex- I'm really excited to see every single clutch piece. To me, I mean, they, they check a lot of boxes, right? Because you have a snake that has, you know, that big snake feel without being a huge snake, right? Yeah. I mean, let's face it, because the properly housed, like, you know, some of the bigger snakes like retics and berms, which I love retics and berms. I, you know, my first retic I got or like almost 20 years ago. It was, it was wild caught and mean. So, but, <laughs> but, and you still but, like them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, I love retics and burns, but for me to like properly accommodate these animals, you know, they need really large enclosures. Uh-huh. And then, you know, you, you know, you're, you're producing this animal and then, you know, you have to make sure it goes to a qualified home and you know, all that's great and everything. But, um, and that's a, that's a very specific animal. If someone's prepared for the animal, that's excellent. But for me, I feel like pretty much any home could you know, pretty easily responsibly house, you know, a Borneo, um, a, a blood python, a Sumatran short tail, because like I said, they, they really have that big snake feel without being like a massive snake. Mm-hmm. They um, right in your hands. Exactly. So that was kind of the, the initial thing that, that appealed to me. Um, and then also in terms of uh, their care, I mean, I, I mean, I think there's very few snakes that are easier to care for. I mean, you really shouldn't. I mean, you guys know this. I'm preaching to the choir. You shouldn't feed them that often. Most of my Borneos, I feed maybe every three weeks. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that some of them, I feed them every three weeks. Like I have that uh, a skunk like a skunk line super stripe female, yeah. um, skunk line super stripe marble, that one. And if I feed her every three weeks, she'll, she'd be like morbidly obese. She'd be <laughs> like, um, so I have to do like every four or five, you know, you know, snakes, just like lizards, just like people, you know, we all have different metabolisms. So it's not just about the species, it's about the individual as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So they can't, so I can't have this cookie cutter mentality with like, oh, well you eat, you know, every other Friday at five o'clock. It's not really practical. It's not going to work long-term for the animal. Uh-huh. Um, so, so basically I, you know, I feed on average about every three weeks to the short tails. I mean, so in terms of feeding, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's less feeding than for example, like certain colubrids or, or even certain pythons and boas, right. Yeah. Uh, certain other pythons and boas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and they, they don't go to the bathroom often. I mean, granted when they go to the bathroom, it's like when the world's going to end practically. <laughs> but, <Legit>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, you just feel like taking that bin and just burning it. Right. <laughs> Basically like, oh. you're like, yeah, do just... I even bother saving the bedding? Ah, fuck it. Nah, just, nah, just nah, redo nah. the whole thing. <laughs> you just... Yeah. A lot of times I just feel like, Oh, that bin is dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> you're calling up like, I need a one. whole new stack of bins from freedom breeder. Cause Fuck it, I'm yeah. not touching this shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, throw the bin outside, throw some holy water on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I always know because, like, you, you're walking up to your front door, you're like, I feel a shift in the force. There's something that's happening. No, no, here. no I feel a shit in the force. That's what, that's what I feel. Yeah, oh, exactly. Uh, but, um, but for me, that's perfect because, um, especially, you know, people are busy, right? You know, people always be no matter what stage of your life you're in, whether you're going to school, whether you're working, you know, sports, you know, whatever people are interested in. So if you have an animal um, that, you know, basically doesn't eat as often, doesn't go to the bathroom as often. I mean, so you have this animal that's this perfect size maintenance is, you know, pretty simplistic. And back in the day, people used to say that, you know, short tails in general aren't as hardy, but that's because we didn't really know how to keep them. Yep. People kept them too humid. They kept them too hot. 
and they were saying, oh, these guys, they're, they're like such jerks. They're always mean. And then you would check, and they would have their animal like, you know, like a 90 degrees right. like, you know, the, for their hot spot. And the thing is, like, I mean, short tails are a very different type of python. They genuinely do like it cooler. Mm-hmm. Like my guys, I keep 78 to 82. And honestly, some of them, even at 82, don't like it. Yeah. Like they so I really don't like to keep them warm at all. I mean, in general, my, my pythons, I don't keep as warm as some people keep theirs. I usually keep mine somewhere in the 80s, even their their basking spots, like, you know, maybe higher 80s. I usually don't even hit 90 degrees. I know that's kind of like, you know, the pretty standard mentality, but when my pythons cross the board, I really don't do that. But especially with when it comes to my short tails and blood pythons. But yeah, if I just, um, I keep them on paper, I keep them clean. Um, because, you know, they when they do... Uh, their urates, you know, they really does fill a tub and they could drink a lot. So if they drink a lot, then it obviously has to come out the other end. Right. Yeah. So, if you, so a lot of times what, what people will do, if you, if you don't keep them clean and you, and you let them kind of saturate in ammonia, things like that. Okay. Then they're not going to do well. And if you're in combination, if you're keeping them too warm while you're doing that, then that's going to be, you know, have negative effects. But right. nowadays I think people, uh, it's not, I don't want to say it's common knowledge, that stuff anymore, but it's, it's more common of knowledge than it used to be in the past because now you really don't see people complain too much about short tails of blood pythons not being hardy because we most people i feel or maybe i'm just an optimist have a better idea of how to keep them yeah um so and and when you so that's kind of like you know kind of like a like a general synopsis from my point of view of keeping them and and breeding them but the main thing not the main thing but one of the main points for me is the polymorphism with borneos it's like it's it's nuts. Like every baby's produced, the world's first. <laughs> I, I, exactly. I bred the, the VPI ultrabite male to a VPI ultrabite female. I've bred them three different times, and every single time it looks like completely different parents bred. Like it's com- <laughs> you know completely different variability. I'll have completely different looks in the clutch. I'll have some animals that are that are really clean, and then they'll have a striped appearance. And I have one animal that is, it's not a side swipe, obviously, but it kind of is reminiscent of like a side swipe type look. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll have some with more more broken patterns. You'll have some with uh, more real ca- caramel type features. So the the color variance is out of this world. The patterns, the hues, and I don't know the the amount of polymorphism, in, in not just in one species, but in but in one clutch is just, I've just never seen anything like it. Yeah. Um, and the Borneos, you know, in general tend to lay, you know, you know, quite a big, uh, quite a bit of eggs compared to like blood pythons. So you're getting you know, like a decent amount of offspring. But if you have an animal that's, you know, well-tempered, you know, relatively low maintenance, has that big snake feel without being a huge snake, has massive polymorphism, has all these cool products that are coming out. I work with Skunk Line. I work with the VPI Ultra Bright stuff. You know, they have Side Swipe out there. Um, they, I mean, they have so many different, uh, you know, different projects and different ways you could go with things. And then, you know, and if someone's not convinced that, you know, Borneos are the best, which obviously I'm biased, but, you know, whatever. So, but <laughs> so is Rob. All, yeah. you need to do, all you need to do is search Matt Minotola's company. For so, real. Legit. Philly Herp. Philly Herp. <laughs> Philly Herp culture? Yep. Uh, then try to come to me and tell me that Borneos aren't the best. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so, that's so, true. so um, and, yeah, no, I have a lot of snakes, and a lot of the species that I have, um, I mean, I don't want to go off on a tangent too much. I do keep retics. I keep berms. I keep ball pythons. I love um, old world rat snakes, particularly the yes. Asian rat snakes. Mm. So, like rhino rats. 
uh, the bamboos I like. I have uh, Vietnamese blue beauties. I've bred those a few times. Yeah. Um, so, but a, a lot of these species I really just consider pets. I really don't care if they breed or not. I mean, luckily here we're fortunate. We paired them up and we get, you know, good production and, and people buy the offspring and that's wonderful. That's great. But uh, the Borneos are the ones that for me are just, they're, they're really amazing animals. So. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. the same way. I just there's something special about Borneos, and it's like a lot of people are like, but it doesn't have the same exact gen- like Mendelian genetics as ball pythons, and I'm like, well, that th- that's fine if you don't have the brain capacity to understand a little bit bigger picture than than Mendelian <laughs> genetics. But you know, I see the potential in them, and with with the amount of uh, you know, we're just a lot of people have worked on the blood python, you know ivories and batiks and all that stuff they've been working on that stuff for you know how many decades now that people have been really focusing on those morphs and like yeah they're doing cool stuff with them but for borneos we're just scraping the edge like i mean keith mcpeak did a ton of work you know with the ghost line and he did marbles and like all this stuff and some of the stripe line stuff and vpi had done some amazing things matt minotola does some incredible things but as far as like really branching out and doing the same amount of work that's being done with uh, uh, blood pythons, it just is not even close yet to that point. So as we're going on, as more people are producing them, as we're seeing more clutches hatching out and seeing the variety of animals that are reproduced, I think that like Borneos are going to really smoke the uh, the blood pythons when it comes to real variety and real like interesting looks that you can get out of them mm-hmm. and the other thing that I always tell people is okay the people who work with blood pythons and golden eyes and ivories and all that sort of stuff those pop up on skinning farms like on a fairly regular basis like the first golden eyes yeah super rare uh, over the last ten years I've seen tons of wild caught golden eyes come into the country nobody is importing an ocelot borneo you cannot import an ocelot borneo it is not happening the animals <laughs> been selectively bred to look like that no one is importing the marble borneos that i just produced this year it's not happening so if you're talking about like security of your project you know the fluctuation on red blood pythons is huge like i've seen people lose their shirts on blood python projects mm-hmm. um you know outside of the selective breeding for color and all that sort of stuff but for just like ivories teen eggs, you know, batiks, that sort of stuff. I've seen them sell for $3,000 one year and then $500 the next. And you just will not see that with Borneos, in my opinion. I just think it's it's way more secure when it comes to that sort of stuff. And as people are starting to appreciate them more, I think that, that the uh, the value will really be there for them. Yeah, no, and it's, and it's um, funny that you mentioned that because, I mean, the reason – that I'm attracted to Borneos, you know, all those reasons we just outlined. But in, in general, I think it gets down to I get bored, you know, very easily with things. So I, I always need a challenge. I need something that, that's different. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, the Borneos, I'm not saying that blood pythons aren't challenging. You know, all these species have their nuances and challenges and this and that. But to me, just the polymorphism alone and you having to work so hard so many generations to get a certain look. Uh-huh. I mean, I really enjoy the challenge. That's the main thing with me. Um, and then there are, you know, some effects of really enjoying that challenge because basically, like you said, you have a secure market and the same is true with, you know, across the board with, with, you know, many things, um, even like, you know, the different monitor lizards, for example, like when I bred Branis Kamenai, 
And when I bred the Mertens and now um, I have the Gravids and Marentis and things like that, the main reason that I was attracted to them is because, you know, not many people were working with them. In the case of Samarensis, I didn't know anyone that was working with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mertens at the time, I, I didn't personally know anyone that was working with it. So I just wanted the challenge. So, But it works out both ways, like you said, because if you do certain species just because, you know, you, you want a challenge, you want something that's different, you want something that's unique, and you want to challenge yourself. But then, this, you know, the, the side effect to that is it's, um, it's less competition in that particular market. Because you are working with something that's, you know, a bit more unique, it's a bit more challenging. Um, it's not something that could be easily replicated. I mean, coming out with one of, uh, you know, Matt Minotola's, you know, line bred animals, uh, you know, his ocelot that he's bred, you know, for generations and generations, you're not going to do that overnight. Exactly. Um, right. So, you know, unless you go directly to Matt and you're willing to, uh, you know, you know, pay that, you know, that premium that he wants for those animals. And I can tell you right now, if it's really, you know, a really, really nice animal, Matt's not selling it. Matt's keeping it. Yep. So, yeah. so, um, and he should. He should. Um, and, and the same is true with the different lizards and things like that. Like the Mertens, you know, they were highly, highly aquatic. Um, they needed a totally different type of setup than what I was accustomed to. I had no idea if I was going to be able to breed them. I didn't even know if I was going to be able to sex them and tell if they were, you know, a male and a female because I only had two animals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that challenge is what really attracted me. And Salvatore, I like Salvatore, um, but they've been bred, you know, a decent amount of times. And um, even though I do enjoy them, you know, a lot of times, I, you know, I look to these other species that have, you know, a little bit more manageable sizes, so a little bit smaller so that they're easier for the keeper and, you know, they're bred a little bit less frequently. But the monitor lizards in general aren't bred particularly frequently, especially the larger lizards because, because it's more challenging. So, mm-hmm. yeah. do, you, do you feel like there's any um, species that you don't have right now that you're looking to get into? Oh, there's a lot of species <laughs> that I'm looking to get into. <laughs> but the thing, the thing with me is, uh, so I can kind of briefly go over my plan when I when I got this farm in South Carolina, right? Yeah. When I got the farm in South Carolina, I told myself, I was like, you know what? I want to breed animals outdoors. I think it's, you know, the best thing for the animals, you know, nine times out of ten, if not ten times out of ten, right? And I want animals that brumate because when those animals, so tegus, lacerda, shinosaurus, Australian water dragons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the only real exception I have for that is the varanids. Although there are some varanids that do brumate, like lace monitors, spencers, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. Um, and then I was going to breed while they are brumating during the brumation season. That's perfect because that cooler time of the year is when I breed, breed my snakes, right? Mm-hmm. I make exception for the varanids because I do feel like, you know, indoors I could provide them with, you know, very high quality of life. Um, so, and I feel like, you know, I, I do understand the animals and, and they're quite prolific. But that being said, that was kind of my plan. And my number one goal was to give the animals like the utmost quality of care. And I, so that being said, I don't want to basically go above, you know, above my means. So there's a lot of species I want, but I have to be super selective of what the projects I do, because I could probably, you know, I would really love to work with lace monitors. I'm actually probably going to work with them pretty soon. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I would love to work with Spencer's monitors. I mean, uh, the Varanus Molinus. I really enjoy that mm-hmm. species. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so some of the dwarf monitors, the Glauderi, I really like Glauderi. Mm-hmm. I like the Gillenei. Um, a primordius. I really like the primordius. Um, so a lot of the Odatria, I'm really, I'm really into, uh, you know, quite a bit. Um, I like, uh, I would love to breed blue tail monitors. Blue tail monitors are great. Tricolors, tricolors are great. Ooh, so there's lots of stuff I would like to they're, breed. They're crazy. 
the tri oh, tricolors. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Oh yeah. No, I mean they're beautiful animals, but I mean that's I like that because that's that's going to be you know quite a challenge. I mean, yes. You know they're <laughs> you know they're they're pretty they're pretty uh, prone to like trying to eat each other. You know? yeah, 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 exactly. Oof. Oof. Yeah. I can only imagine you get this pair that you've been raising up and you're super excited. You get everything all ready. Introductions, everything's going cool. And then all of a sudden uh, an arm is down a throat. And you're like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Panic. It's so... just Josh just makes a bunch of Instagram stories that are just black screens with a large amount of text. And it's just repetitive. I made a bad decision. I made a bad decision. I made a bad decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, with that being said, basically... The breeding animals outdoors, the, the great thing about breeding animals outdoors is that one person could do the work of practically a whole team of people. Yeah. Because if you think about it, when you, when you, when you um, care for any lizard, right, a large portion of your time, your resources uh, dedicated to those animals is cage maintenance, right? Yes. If you have an animal outdoors and you keep your densities low, so you keep you know one animal in an appropriate size outdoor enclosure, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the ultimate bioactive enclosure, right? Yes. Yeah. For sure. Everything's broken down well. I mean, as long as you keep densities low. If you have an enclosure that's not a sufficient size, you put way too many animals in there, you're going to have problems because, you know, the bioactive, you know, ingredient outdoors is going to kind of be null because it's not going to be able to break down stuff fast enough. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then in addition to certain animals, for example, like cyclura, so cyclura, you really never have to put an actual water bowl down for them, right? Where cyclura are from, actually, a lot of times they'll never see standing water. Uh, like rhino iguanas in particular from Hispaniola, unless it rains, yeah, right? right? Unless it rains and it puddles up, they never see standing water. Mm -hmm. So that's why even when I see people that they'll have the cyclura and they'll have a water bowl, I'm like, well, it doesn't really need a water bowl. I mean, if you gave it a proper diet and then you had, especially you have it in an outdoor enclosure and you have a misting system, I mean, that, I mean that's, that's it. That's it's all said. Yeah. So when a lot of my outdoor animals, I try to make it as efficient as possible. And it being bioactive from the start, I mean, that saves you a massive amount of time because, Jeremy, you've been here and you've seen the amount of tegus I have. Yeah. Imagine me having those tegus inside. It will be impossible. Yeah, we, be impossible. we wouldn't have been able to have scheduled this podcast. <laughs> yeah, it would be, yeah, be absolutely impossible. Yeah. But since, you know, I keep them outdoors, I keep them in large enclosures outdoors. Um, you know, I have the sprinkler system set up for them. I have, you know, a feeding regimen set up. And mm -hmm. here they only eat for, you know, let's say like four to five months out of the year. Right, because they're only awake for like six months, and when they first wake up, they're kind of groggy. They're not really eating the first couple of weeks, mm -hmm. and for the last month that they're up, they don't eat either. So, so basically, long story short, when you have an animal that brumates and you house it properly outdoors, I don't want to say it's a low maintenance animal, but it's a lot lower maintenance yeah. than it would be if it was indoors. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of my goal. I was like, you know what? I like a lot of different things. I can't have a lot of different things that require you know a ton of my time. Because if they require a ton of my time and I keep them indoors, I'm going to have to hire other people to take care of my reptiles. And I don't mind hiring people. Like I hire, I have, I have an employee that takes care of my feeders. I have an employee that helps me, you know, build enclosures and build pens and stuff like that. But when it comes to taking care of my reptiles, I'm greedy. I want to take care of my reptiles. Hell yeah. yeah. So for sure. So, so I guess that kind of keys into when you ask me, like it's, I guess that was a really long answer, but, um, adding species and thinking about species when i think about a species the first thing i think about is okay one if i'm really into it if i'm hardcore into it, i think it's super interesting i would just love to just look at that animal and then two okay does it really fit in with what i'm doing with the system i have in play already mm -hmm. is it going to be an animal i could keep outdoors in my climate 
where, you know, I'll be able to maintain it a lot easier because I have the help of Mother Nature, right? Mm -hmm. Two is in an animal like a varanid that has similar, you know, system to what I have now where, you know, it's in a semi-aquatic lizard where I have a big water reservoir, I have it plumbed correctly and this and that. But say, for example, if it's an indoor animal with a completely different set of parameters than what I have set up already, even if I think it's super cool, I'm probably not going to work with it because I don't feel like I could really give it the, the attention it deserves and give it a high quality of life. But yeah, so basically I try to steer to stuff that is similar to what I do already. So that's, that's why a lot of the varanids really attract me because I already have you know, a pretty efficient system set up for all my varanids. Right. So lace monitors, that's on my list. Like by this time next year, I would like to have, you know, a good group of lace monitors. Uh, Spencer's monitors uh, would be great. Um, like we said, the Molinas, um, all those dwarf monitors. I and mean, there's a bunch of different ones. I'm, so I'm sure you you guys like a lot of the brands too, right? I, I, oh, yeah. I do. I, and, you know, I don't have a plans of getting a ton of monitors. Like uh, I see if I if I get a, uh, you know, a little house with a, a reptile room and everything, I want to have a, a – enough space to have a lace monitor because like a bell's face lace monitor has been my dream animal since I was like a little child. Um, <laughs> and I just would love to have one of those. I think that some of the like high contrast, like clean ones, like the ones that Saurian farms just posted. Oh my yeah. goodness. Holy. Yeah, yeah, I saw Don's just now. I was about to mention that. Yeah. I had to change my underwear. It was um, that, twice, th- twice. <laughs> back to back. The, I saw the yeah. pictures of those babies and I was like, Oh, that's what I need. That is just yeah. like the pinnacle of like monitors for me. I just I love the look of those Bell's Face lace monitors, and and I just love those. And then you know every time I think about monitors and stuff, I love the black tree monitors, the Varanus Bacari, and then uh, I I really love the Glotteri, the Kimberly Rock monitors as well. But those are like more hit or miss. I, I I like them a lot, but when it comes down to space and stuff, if I had to pick between having some of my snake projects. Or having that, I'd probably go with the snakes more because I feel like, I mean, I, I just enjoy the snakes more. And mm-hmm. just if I had the one lace monitor, that'll fill every niche every I need. Mi- yeah. <laughs> Everything I've got for the lizards. I, I just, yeah. I, I love them to death, but I feel like more of my passion is definitely with the snakes than, than with the lizards for me, which is weird because, like, when I was growing up, I wasn't allowed to have snakes because my dad's terrified of snakes. Um, mm. But so I had lizards way, way, way before I had any snakes. I, you know, five years, six years before I had any snakes, uh, I was keeping lizards and then frogs and newts and amphibians and stuff. So, but now I, now that I've got snakes, I can't even picture like if people were like, oh, you have to cut it down to one species. I'd be like, but why not two? Like I can, I can <laughs> probably do two, but I, I don't think I could get rid of my Borneos or my scrubs. I just love both of them so much. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for snakes, there's a ton of species I would like to add to. I mean, scrub pythons. I actually don't have any scrubs here, and I love the scrub pythons. I love them. They're so amazing. If I could oh. just have like a pair of like Malukins, I, I you know, I'd, oh. I'd be very happy. Yeah. Um, Oof. Oof. So yep. the scrub pythons I really like. I have I have a Papuan female that I've had forever, and I actually had a male on breeder lawn a few years ago, but um, it didn't work out. The male, the male, he didn't get eaten, by the way. Oh, I was, I, I was I, just going to ask. Yeah, people didn't <laughs> work out. I mean, they, they go, the Papuan, he said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it didn't work out she killed her boyfriend but uh no he just um um i guess um i don't know she gave him the cold shoulder i guess it just it just wasn't working out she friend zoned them it so be, anyways it'd be like that sometimes yeah so but uh, yeah i just like the papuans um boega i man i would have so many different boega if i had 
you know, the time that I really felt that I could give the, those animals the attention they deserve and add them to my breeding projects. Mm-hmm. I love all the different boega. Uh, Candoya, I work with the, the Viper Boas. Yes. Um, and I actually have a Viper Boa that should drop, like, yesterday. Yeah. Um, but, um, but I love, like, the Pulse and I. I mean, I love, I love all that stuff. And with snake species, there's so much stuff that I like. But right now, because we're going back to what, you know, what I could practically have and give, you know, the, the time and attention it deserves, that's why I kind of switched over to bread lie and diamonds. Yes. And I was really never a carpet python guy. And I know they're technically not a carpet, well, not even technically, it's not a carpet python. Uh, bread lie or anything like that. I, I realize that. In Australia, <laughs> yeah. they think they're carpet yeah. pythons. <laughs> yeah. But you have to look at it from this way. Like that, that type of, of python wasn't really something I was super interested in. But here... Yeah. Um, they do, they would do really well. So I actually got a, a, a group of, um, hypo, uh, headstone washes, um, that I'm raising up now. Yes. I have a hypo headstone wash, older female, and I can, I can have those outdoors here as long as they have like, you know, like uh, heated retreats and then, yep. and, um, because the average day that, you know, they could withstand here, you know, actually pretty well. I've actually been talking to people, you know, via messenger that in Australia and, um, and the, the temperatures that a lot of their ranges in is, it's pretty similar to where I'm at. I really don't have to accommodate it too much, like or modify it too much. But uh, bread lie, diamonds. I've been thinking about certain North American colubrids that would do out, well out here. Yes. So for me, my goal more so is if I'm going to get more snakes, I'd prefer that I could build it, you know, a big, you know, outdoor enclosure for it and, and breed it outside. I really don't see myself getting species that I would need to breed indoors here anymore not that i wouldn't want to but i have to think of you know what's what's practical but uh, but i'm really enjoying the bread lie i mean i uh i really like my hypos my, my big hypo female she's really interesting uh josh easter just had a, a pretty cool clutch of some diamond pythons and i was able to get um some females from there that he's sending over um soon Word. so i'm looking forward to species i could do outdoors um i was thinking about bowl and i doing them outdoors here but like i don't know like all right this is gonna sound like I don't know. This is going to not be a really popular opinion. I like Boland's pythons. I've always liked Boland's pythons. And I've spent decent money on, um, not to throw numbers out there because that's really not important. I've spent decent money on animals before yeah, when mm-hmm. it comes to monitors and stuff like that. But I just, I don't like Boland's pythons enough to pay the price tag. And I could get it from people that directly bring them in. So I could get them for a lot cheaper than retail value is right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I like them. But, you know, certain animals you like, but not necessarily enough to get to them. pull that trigger. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And if it was a monitor, if it was a monitor, I was really you know, passionate about it. And if it was double the price, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Here, <laughs> yeah. right, let's make this happen. <laughs> who do I, who I send it over to? Yeah. Okay, you want his friends and family to PayPal? Sounds legit. Yeah, to me. Exactly. <laughs> you send it over. But, so, oh, no. So, um, <laughs> but, yeah, so, um, but, but Boland's Pythons, I think, would do pretty well here as well, though. Um mm. I mean, I just maybe one day I would work with them out here, but but my goal for snake species is stuff I can really keep outdoors. That's really my focus. My focus is besides the varanids, uh, which I prefer to keep indoors. Maybe the lays and spencers. I'll work out something where it's like an indoor outdoor run. My focus. I mean, if I came out here and I bought a farm, I, I mean, I want to use it. I'm not gonna yeah. come out here, you know, relocate. You know, my wife and everything. We come out here and then I put everything inside. So like, yeah. it doesn't make sense to me. If I'm moving down south. And you know, I'm buying a farm. I want to, you know, utilize the space. I want to be able to see my animals basking out in the sun. Um, so that's my goal. My goal is besides varanage, which are indoors, and you know, the few snake species I have, which I wouldn't feel comfortable putting outdoors. Besides that stuff, my goals 
is really to, to have animals outdoors. Um, and just to breed unique species. You know, I want to breed things that, you know, people really don't breed that often in captivity because I like the challenge. I really don't, I don't, I'm not really in competition with anyone else. I really never have been, but I'm in competition with myself. So I always want yeah. to challenge myself to do, you know, things that, you know, seem very challenging because that, because I get bored, like I said, very, very easily. And if I, and if I get bored, I'll just, you know, I completely lose interest. So <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. sure, for sure. Oh man. All right, dude. So we're, we're coming up on the end of our time, but before we say our goodbyes, we ask all of our guests one final question to wrap things up. So that question is, what in the realm of reptile, be it something in your collection, something you've seen scrolling online, um, what in the realm of reptiles has you excited about reptiles? Like a project that's going on now or just an animal that exists? Either or. Yeah. For me, it's a tuatara. Like, mm. if I could have a tuatara, like, if we're not talking about just industry stuff, just like, you know, hypothetical, you could have what I mean, tuataras to me, I mean, they're, they're not even, they're not even lizards. So, um, it's a really, really interesting uh, group of animals. So, if I could have a tuatara, I mean, sign me up. Those, those are awesome. Fiji so. <laughs> yeah. iguanas are pretty cool, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude. I, Rob's got to go change his pants I, again. Those yeah. are really, really cool lizards. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Fiji yeah. They have them in Canada. People breed them. And, like, there's a, couple, we, there's a couple people breeding them in Canada. It's, we got offered some, and I was like, the documentation and paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> we can't. We can't. we can't. Yeah, we did, and I, I, uh, I had to tell them no because the, there wasn't enough paperwork for them, and I was like, ah, that's unfortunate. Uh, but Boo. all right. So, Josh, if uh, people want to find out more about you and the things that you're doing, where should they look you up on the interwebs? Yeah, so they can look me up on Facebook. It's Josh Ortiz. I mean, my my name is pretty common name where I'm from. So you could look up, um, it's in herpetofauna is in parentheses. So Josh Ortiz with herpetofauna in parentheses. If you contact me on Facebook, you could PM me. Um, I have a Facebook page, Instagram, and it's all under herpetofauna by Josh Ortiz. Um, so basically Instagram, Facebook, and if people message me directly, that, that's fine too. So Sweet. Bam. Awesome, man. Dude, this was a lot of fun. I'm Hell yeah. pumped. I feel like it went by too fast, so we're going to have to have you on like again sometime soon to hit on more things. Yeah. We didn't even talk about tegus. I know. I know. <laughs> Round two. I have two. a field full of tegus here. Literally a field it's full true. of It's true. It is a field full of tegus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the, the bummers of having a one-hour podcast. But we will have you on again yeah. sometime soon. And, uh, and, dude, thank you so much for coming on. Hell yeah, dude. All right, guys. Thanks so much. It was nice talking to you. Have a nice you time, too. Man. Have a good night. Bye. I guess. Boom. All right. So that was a super fun episode. Dude, that was awesome. I, I love Josh. I, I don't know why I didn't think to have Josh on sooner because I really, I mean, when he worked at Nerd, I used to always pick his brain about stuff and he's so intelligent. Like, yeah, he definitely is. Not a lot of people that I can go up to and be like, bring up this really weird, obscure thing. And then he's like, oh yeah, this thing right here. Have you seen this thing that's very similar? And I'm like, oh, you know. You know, <laughs> you're aware. Yeah, I've, I've had the, the pleasure of going to Josh's place uh, down in South Carolina a couple times, and uh, man, it's mm. it's quite impressive. The property is is quite wonderful, and uh, the plans that he has, yeah, I mean the outdoor enclosures and and all these other things that he's trying to do, um, he's going to utilize that that property perfectly. Yes. So yeah, I'm excited oh. to see. Every time I go down, there's like something new. Mm. So and I like that. <laughs> I Hell definitely yeah. like that a Hell lot. Hell yeah.
Hi, Jeremy. So, if people want to find out more about you and the things that you're doing, where should they find you? They can go everywhere. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, uh, at Brassman Reptiles. You can check out everything that I'm doing over there. Um, I think that's I think that's it. Don't don't find me anywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Rob? Um, you can find me on Omegle. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can find me on, on Instagram at Rob is creeping it real. Um, on YouTube, Rob is creeping it real, and not on Facebook. But also check out the Reptile Talk OnlyFans. Uh, we're gonna be posting some more cool stuff. I actually just took some new pro uh, pictures of one of the projects I'm working with uh, that I. I'm not talking about. And then no. I, uh, I'm going to be posting some breeding update pictures because I've had some stuff lock up just recently and I'm super pumped about it, but I don't want to jinx myself, so I'm not going to post it on my regular page. Just going to post it on the OnlyFans. Um, and, dude, I'm super pumped. We got some cool things coming up for January. Uh, yes. We're just coming up on about a year of doing Reptile Talk, which is like mind-blowing to me. And I'm super, super excited. We got something really special planned for January for you guys. So definitely stay tuned. Uh, if you liked the Reptile Talk, if you liked this episode, please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review. We, yes. We do read your reviews, and we enjoy seeing what you guys have to say. And uh, if you can uh, – I don't know if there's any place else where you can leave reviews. Stitcher, any of those, uh, Spotify, favorite yeah, us on Spotify. any place to leave a rating. Yeah, we, uh, definitely. We seriously appreciate it. We appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time on see Reptile Talk. See ya.